MailChimp presents. Hi, Avery. Hi, Bianca. We've arrived in the middle of the podcast already. It's episode three. Here we are. And uh, this week I found a story I wanted to do. It's fine by me. I'm pretty tired after two episodes. (laughs) My tireless reporting has got me exhausted, so you can take episode three. Great, and I'll give you a little respite, a vacation. Can you tell me what you're going to do? Yeah, I'm going to do an episode about pizza. I found a woman named Steph Mantis, and she made a pizza product that completely blew up. And that became kind of a problem. So this is episode three, Rapid Growth. To begin this story, you have to understand how important pizza is to Steph's family. They've owned a pizza shop for generations. And it's one of the oldest pizzerias in Maine, actually. Her family is Greek. So Greek-style pizza is a pan pizza. It creates a really crunchy crust when the cheese gets cooked on the pan. And since it was founded in 1960, not much has changed. And we only serve pizza. We only have one side. We don't do slices. We don't do delivery. In her hometown of Biddeford, Maine, this is where you went for class field trips, for sports teams parties, where you posted up waiting to see your crush, where you probably had your first date. One time a woman's water broke, and she refused to leave it until she finished her pizza. The pizzeria has had the same manager, a guy named Bob, for over 50 years. They still use the same plates, cups, and shakers as they did when they first opened. Like those just last yeah. 60 years? Yeah, basically. Steph's dad took over the restaurant right before she was born. Needless to say, pizza has been a big part of her life. And even into adulthood, no matter where Steph goes, she can't escape pizza. It's literally like changed my life multiple times over. When Steph was 21, she encased a slice of her family's pizza in resin for an art show. She made it just for fun because she loves pizza. It was a pretty simple idea, and it looked like a brown, shriveled slice of pizza and a clear triangle of resin with bubbles in it. A few months later, a picture of her forever pizza slice went up on the internet, and that's when things went crazy. And it was one of those things that happens with blogs where somebody posted and there's a repost and then a repost and a repost, and all of a sudden it's everywhere. Like Pee Wee Herman tweeted about it. Someone gifted one to Demi Moore. The public's infatuation with Forever Pizza was so strong that her life changed completely from this singular product. First, there was the Pizza Museum being in the inaugural collection. And I showed up, and it was just this instant, like, like everybody in the space was like, yup, 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 jump in this car, go to the, do this thing with me, you want to do this? Yes, 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 yes. Then they invited me to be on the board of directors. That's where I met Scott Wiener. That's famed New York City pizza tour guide, Scott Wiener. And he, like, walked over and he's like, you're Steph Mantis. And I was like, you're Scott Wiener. There was only one problem. She didn't know how to scale the product at all. The difficulty and the sort of fog around it in terms of what is this? How do I talk about it? Do I sell it? Can I sell it? How do I sell it? Who buys it? I I didn't see the scalability in it. Like, I just didn't. I was actually more focused on real, quote unquote, product. And this is 
really hard to make, frankly. She felt pressure to make the perfect-looking slice of pizza that would last forever. But it felt like she was fighting against nature. Stopping the aging process in the pizza was nearly impossible. She didn't know how to make this quickly, cheaply, or in a way that would last. So she procrastinated. She left all her customers waiting. She apologized. And in the meantime, she made animal butt magnets. That's right. She invented animal butt magnets. Then in 2016, a website she had never heard of called Circa News asked her to make a video about Forever Pizza. They sent this woman with one camera, like super casual. We hung out in my studio, talked. She filmed. We went and got a slice of pizza. And it was just like, this pizza person makes pizza stuff. The video was called Someone Figured Out a Way to Make Pizza Last Forever. And it debuted right after Trump was elected. And I'm thinking, like, this video is going to come out and it's just going to be, it's just going to fall so flat because no one's paying attention to art. Um, so it came out literally 10 days, I think, after the election. And I have never been more wrong about something in my life. The video went viral. So because of some good marketing and some unexpectedly good timing with the election, Forever Pizza was back. The video got 12 million views. She got invited to parties at Questlove's house, flew to Pizza Expo. Pizza Expo is like Comic-Con meets pizza in Vegas. And it's everybody that makes pizza, sells pizza, equipment. There's a guy there selling ovens, napkin dispensers, uniforms, like all the things, right? Dough acrobatics, which is like throwing dough to music and like dancing with it, and it's intense. People come from all over the world to compete in this thing. Um, and it's the, it's the like, the mega personalities of that space. So when, when your video went viral, you were suddenly like a character in this pizza yeah. world. Like you had the keys to the... I started just carrying it with me and I was like, yeah, I'm, I make this. And literally, literally people have stepped aside and let me into places. Like a club? Kind of, like the whole world's a club. Now, the pressure for her to make Forever Pizza into a sellable product was incredibly strong. She had customers lined up, but she didn't know how to make it in an affordable way that would last. She was facing a problem that many business owners have. She had been talking about a product as if it existed, but in reality, she didn't have it to sell. And I, at that point, you can't change it. It's out in the world. And I'm sort of sitting there talking about it as a product of sorts. People told her it was too dark looking. And over time, the pizza would often push out of the resin, or the resin would turn yellow, or the pizza would start to look gross. She started working frantically to try and fix this. I, I have notebooks. I can show you some sketchbooks and stuff of my, like, chemistry notes and my experiment notes. So I was messing around with, like, pH balance and potassium sorbate. Then it was like, yo, pizza friends, like, how do I get really white cheese? And they're like, oh, it's, uh, it's a bromate. It's a, you know, it's a bleaching agent. It's, anti it's not allowed in California. And I was like, oh, cool, let's get that. Let's make cheese with that. I learned that tomato sauce in some resins completely oxidizes and turns black, and others it doesn't. And that's just the pizza and the resin. When you start drying it, it wants to curl, and that's not good. Like, I went to Home Depot one break, and I, like, MacGyvered these things together to hold it in place. Her dad was helping her. I've gone to the pizzeria and, like, 
Before hours and after hours, we've tinkered with stuff. And while she was tinkering, her customers were lined up, waiting for their product. She didn't feel ready to take their money, and she spent her own funds on research and development. Meanwhile, she was working overtime to try to scale the product. And making it is really not as easy as you would think. I think people think I just get pizza, put it in resin. It's like, no, dude, I got to drive to Maine. I got to cook it a certain way. I got to not cut it. I got to pack it. I got to come back here. I got to fridge it. I got to take it out. I got to scrape the grease. I got to cut it now. Then I got to dehydrate it. Then I got to keep it weighed down in the dehydrator. Then I have to take that and make the molds, embed it, multiple step process in that. Then I got to cut the molds and I got to mill the molds and I got to like polish them. Then I got to engrave it. Then I got to package it. It's not just magic wand, ding, pizza and resin, forever pizza. Like, it's so much more involved. But it, at a glance, it's two things. While people were waiting for their orders to be filled, she started getting these really personal stories about why they wanted the pizza. Whenever they made an order, she would ask them to fill out why they wanted this product. The stories I've received as to why people want this literally hit the human spectrum of birth and death. <laughs> I have a guy in New Hampshire that his girlfriend said, I don't want a ring, I want a forever slice. So he writes me an email, he's like, hey, I know this is crazy, but like, I think I want to propose to my girlfriend with one of your forever pizzas. And so I've actually been talking to him since July. I feel like a pizza marriage counselor of sorts. And, you know, like, like I've actually talked seriously to Tim about his relationship. <laughs> uh, I have multiple emails from people who have lost someone that was super close to them that they want this as a memorial piece too. I have one woman that emailed me the night before Christmas Eve whose husband had passed away and their four-year-old son, every time they have pizza, she, they, the son asks where dad is because they used to eat pizza together. And she's like, can I get a whole pie? I want one pie divided into eight slices to give to his family. I want to put one on his gravestone. So finally, after two years of trying to make the perfect slice that would look great forever, she decided that actually the real slice was the way to go. Just a normal piece of her dad's pizza put in resin in all its dark and shriveled natural glory. I was listening to so many people. I had so many voices like telling me what I should do, what I could do, how this could be. People were getting really excited about what it could be. And so was I. What it could be was more pleasing to the eye. What it could be was more appetizing. When in reality, I was, you know, kind of overlooking what it was. I was not being in the present moment with this project at all. She put the pizza on sale for $150 a slice. And I was like, um, we just launched and like, Dad, I'm about to sell out. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm at the coffee shop down the street. He's like, come to the pizza house. So by the time I packed up my bag, drove two blocks, unpacked my bag, opened my computer in the pizzeria at that table, it was sold out. In the end, people loved the product. They loved that it was natural. And they were totally fine waiting for it. And now she's continuing to make new batches of her product in its simplest form. And she continues to have new buyers. 
She said she wishes she hadn't spent so much time trying to give people what she thought they wanted, and rather just given them what she had. Turns out they liked the product just the way it was. Life Cycle of a Business is a podcast from MailChimp, produced in partnership with Missing Pieces. This episode was produced by me, Bianca Gaver. Our executive producers are Ari Kushner, Kate Oppenheim, and Brian Latt, and our line producer is Vicky Ilk. Thanks to Stellwagen Symphonette for the music. 